you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I was speaking with a friend of mine the end of the week, and we were discussing Advent, uh, it prompted me to think, well, maybe I need to ask this question, uh, at least to point to what we mean when we are talking about Advent. So what is Advent? Well, Advent is simply the season of waiting until we celebrate Christmas. His comment was, he said, I am so appreciative of Advent. He said, I think a lot of times we fail and we move directly to the celebration of Christmas without stopping for Advent, the season of waiting, giving attention to waiting. Advent is good. It's good. We need to push pause in our lives And we need to wait, being reminded of all the people who waited for the Advent. Who waited for the Advent? From Adam until the day that Christ was born, that night in Bethlehem, all mankind had been waiting for the Advent. And I believe it is good that even though Christ has come, it's good that we push pause in our lives, and we wait. One, it teaches us even during this season that we are waiting for another advent. I wonder how our lives look as it relate, as our lives relate to the waiting for Christ's return. What are our thoughts about it? How are we living? How are we thinking? How are we navigating through life? And I think this season of Advent is a training time for us as we give attention to waiting for the return of Christ. He has come, but waiting is significant, uh, and it will help us as we prepare for His return. Uh, Today and for the next four Sundays, we're going to give attention to the glory of Advent. Now, I want to remind you, in the church calendar, two of the Sundays that we will be dealing with this will be post-Advent. In other words, it'll be post our Christmas celebration. But that's okay, because we can continue to talk about the glory of Advent, even if it is post-Advent and post our Christmas celebration. The title of today's message is The Glory of Advent, A Divine Decision made in eternity. The glory of Advent, a divine decision made in eternity. But before we listen to this text and before we consider this text, uh, let's listen to the testimony and witness of Scripture about this one that generations waited for and about this one that we wait for His return. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we hear, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, And when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were opened to Him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Of the living God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, we hear another testimony. Testimony 
coming from a demon. And the unclean spirit cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. John chapter 11 and verse 27, Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, and the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Beloved? And Jesus said, I am. He said, I am. What I want us to understand from that is don't be confused. Don't be unclear that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God promised him. He gave him. He pointed to him and said, He is my Son. The demon pointed to him and said, He is the Son of God. Peter pointed to him and said, You are the Son of God. Martha pointed to him and said, You are the Son of God. And then when asked in his trial, Are you the Son of God? And he said, I am. Don't be confused. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions and trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you pray with me? Father, there's more in this text than we can even fully understand. But there are things here that we need to hear about you. Help us to hear some of those things today. And Father, would you direct the truth of this scripture to our hearts to cause us to see you and to know you, to love you, to value you, and to see and declare your glory, the glory that you displayed and sending your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We said along the way, and you've heard us say it many different ways, that God alone is to be worshipped. In Him alone is glory. All glory originates with Him. And I want you to be clear what we mean here is that man only knows glory if and when God grants. Man only knows glory when and if God grants him that. God said of himself through Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
And we read in the 104th Psalm, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I am, while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now why do we mention this? Well, it's for the glory of God that Christ came. And we see that in our text, His coming is tied directly to the praise of the glorious grace of God. Look at it again, if you will. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. The glory of God is displayed in His grace. A grace that was present, mind you, in eternity. The glory of God is displayed in His plans and His works. We just read in the 104th Psalm. What? That it is His works that display His glory. That He is about His work because His work points to His glory. The glory of God is displayed in His plans and His works and His plans and His works are for His glory. Not only do they display His glory, they are for His glory. So as He works to show us His glory, there is the understanding that all that He does points back to Him to glorify Him. Everything, listen, everything is bound up in the objective of the glory of God. I want you to hear that again. Everything, and when I say everything, nothing exists apart from Him. Everything is bound up in the objective of the glory of God. Now, I don't want us to see how that is manifest in the Advent. I'm looking at our text today. First, we see that the Advent, the coming of Christ, is the work of God. It is the work of God. Notice what Paul says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all throughout the rest of that text, we are talking about the work of God. Not the work of man. Not the plans of man. Not the purposes of man. But we are talking about God. Everything begins with God. Paul begins by saying, Blessed be God. Why? Because He is the blessed one, and all that He does is blessed, and all blessings should go back to Him. We read just a moment ago in the 104th Psalm, what? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all praise be to God. That is a rightly ordered understanding of how things are. The Lord is the blessed one, and He is the one that's to be blessed. When Paul begins this, he begins like a eulogy. Now, most of us know what a eulogy is. We go to memorial services, and what do we hear read most often? Eulogies. Well, what is a eulogy? We identify it only with the life or the recollection of the good things and the things that we celebrate about a person who has already died. But a eulogy is not limited to the person who has died. We can talk about the good things. We can talk about the contributions that people make all along the way. What Paul is talking about here, he is giving a eulogy of God pointing to the contribution that God has made. And it's interesting that he does this at the very beginning of his letter. When he is writing to the church at Ephesus, he wants them to understand what God has done. In other words, he doesn't want them confused along the way to think that there is anything that they have done. He doesn't want them confused in thinking that it's anything that he has done. He wants them to understand that what he is getting ready to say that God alone has done. He is acknowledging the accomplishments 
of God. The Holy Spirit directed Paul to declare the praise of God at the very outset of his letter. So we see that this is a work of God, and it is about God. The second thing that we recognize here that should point us to the glory of the advent is that the advent, the coming of Christ, is the centerpiece of all planned world history. Look in the text, if you will, back in verse 10. And back up in verse 9. He says, uh, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. It's a plan for the fullness of time. It has eternal implications, but as we recognize it here, as God is giving us this, the Holy Spirit is giving us this, He is pointing to the fact that in Christ and His coming in the advent, there is the centerpiece of all of world history. It, at the very outset, He wants us to know and understand that everything in life is governed by this centerpiece and the person of this centerpiece. Why do we make much of Advent? And why do we make much of Christmas? Well, for believers, we understand and know and the world needs to know that the coming of Christ is the centerpiece of all world history and that God has in Christ placed Him to fulfill and carry out the plan for the fullness of time or for the completion of all time. The third thing that we recognize in this text is that the advent accomplishes the purposes of God. Accomplishes the purposes of God. Now God had a plan, but He also has a purpose. And I want to draw a distinction between the two. The plan that God has here, if you will, is the stewardship of what He is going to do with that which He creates. Now I want you to understand, when Paul is writing this, he is writing this in the context that God has not created anything yet. In other words, all of this, and we'll see in a moment, all of this is pointing back to before creation, all of this plan, his stewardship of what he would create was put in place. But we also know that he has a purpose behind this plan. In other words, it is to accomplish something. And that word purpose actually means pleasure. So what is being said here is that God is stewarding and is going to steward that which he is about to create and make, that which he is going to reveal to us through the course of all of human history and all of time, and it will all be for his pleasure will all be for his pleasure the plan points to his stewardship because he's the one in authority and his purpose points to his pleasure i want you to hear this the advent pleases god the advent pleases god and we need to understand it in this way the advent pleases god most because it is god's plan and his purpose before anything was ever created. Before anything was ever created. So what is it that God in and for his pleasure, his own glory, what is it that he planned to do? Well, the answer is found there in the last part of verse 10. His plan is to unite all things in him, meaning Christ, to unite all things in Christ things in heaven and things on earth. So we know that this is what God's plan is. It's clear in this text what the Holy Spirit has in mind as it pertains to. When he's talking about things, what is he talking about? He's talking about people. He's talking about people. He's not talking about objects here in this text. 
He's not even talking about all the rest of creation, though there are other passages that point to that. It's clear in this text that these all things in heaven and earth are the things, the people who are in heaven and on earth, God intends to unite them. They are the people who have been, we read it, we heard it, who have been chosen or elected by God, Notice back up there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. Who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So we see that there were people, specific people, whom God chose to unite in heaven even before there was an earth. Even before anyone had ever been created, God chose that people who would be united to Him in heaven. You may begin to understand now why we looked at the text from Isaiah in our call to worship. Our ways are not His ways. Our thoughts are not His thoughts as it pertains to His love, as it pertains to His work. Notice what He says here again, and it points back to in verse 8, He said, "...which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will." It means that there is a mystery contained in the course of this will, and God enables us and allows us in Christ to see how this mystery comes about. We may not understand the background for all of it. We certainly don't understand all that God has done in eternity because we can't and we're not God. But what we do see is that before there was ever a man or woman created, before there was ever an earth, and in building terms, before there was ever a foundation, and for those who know anything about building, there's not a building until there's a foundation. Before there was ever a foundation for any of it, God had chosen in Christ a specific group of people. Now the question comes, and we want to look at in the next few minutes that we have, how did he bring that about? How did he do that? Well, he answers that in four parts in this text. Let's look at it together. First, notice that He predestined them. He chose them. But how did He, how did he bring about this, this, you, this, this unity, this uniting heaven and earth? He predestined those that He chose for adoption to Himself as sons. Notice what He says. Even... As He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He predestined them for adoption to himself as sons. In other words, he predetermined that they would be adopted as his children. So I want you to get this again. So before creation, God planned adoption. Do you hear it? Even before he laid the foundation of the world, God had planned adoption. He planned to receive into his family... He planned to receive into his family some of the people that he would create. The second thing that we know from this text and how he brings this about is that this adoption would take place through the work of his grace. Look on down, if you will. It says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. 
In other words, according to the pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. In other words, grace was at the backdrop of this. Grace before there had ever been in anyone in our mind, we can't even begin to fathom, God had already put grace into place because that is a characteristic of Him. The grace of God existed that would now work to bring about the adoption of those individuals that He had chosen through Christ and in Christ would bring them to be His children. In other words, the chosen, these chosen, were going to be adopted as persons and by virtue of the grace that is there, it helps us to know that they're not worthy of being chosen and they're not worthy of being adopted. He exercised His will in His choosing and He exercised His will in His pre-planning as to how He would unite them. The third thing that we see in this text is that He would redeem them and forgive them. Notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, In Him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So He would redeem them and forgive them. This is how He would bring this about. All of this is working. All of this working in Christ. So there was on His part, before they ever created a person, a knowledge that people would come to hate Him and to be His enemies. Before He ever created them, it was planned that they would hate Him. Now, I know, this is, I know this is incredibly, incredibly hard for us to get our minds around. That's the reason that Isaiah was able to say, as it pertains to the nature of God's love, is that His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. We are not God. God is just revealing here, through the Holy Spirit, the glory of the advent and what it means the glory of the advent because it was a decision that was made before the very foundation of the world. Before He had created anything. Before He ever created a person that people would come to hate and be His enemies. Yet He would choose some to be gracious toward and would redeem and forgive and adopt them as children. Think about that for a moment. That He would redeem them, forgive them, adopt them as His children. There's a fourth thing that He, in the way that He speaks here in this text, that helps us understand how He would bring this work about. He would bring this about through and by His Son. In fact, let's listen to the text again and note the extent of the work of Christ. Let's begin back in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that we are praising God and we are praising His Son and that God is here doing His work and His Son is being brought up in the forefront of everything who has blessed us in Christ. So the first thing that we recognize is, is that He does this work through Christ by blessing some in Christ. He blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now I want you to get a picture of this for just a moment because we understand now uh, and and Booney and I were talking about this. If you're, if you're missing Booney today, and you ought to, uh, if you're missing him today, uh, he's preaching over at Mission Baptist Church in Burgall. But we were talking yesterday because he's dealing with another text. He was talking to me about, I, I want to say something, he says, and I want to make sure that I say it in the right way. And I pointed him back to this text because this was the text that we're working with. 
the point being made here is that there are times in people's lives that they are struggling with particular issues. Sometimes they're struggling in marriage. Sometimes they're struggling financially. Sometimes they're struggling physically. They have physical ailments. Sometimes they are struggling uh, with their emotions and they're depressed and those things. And oftentimes believers will say, you'll find your answer in Christ. Turn to Jesus. Is that a, is that a fair statement? It, it is a fair statement. But, but I want to qualify this. I want to qualify, qualify this is that for a believer, for us, when we are dealing with those challenges, it's only natural that we turn to Christ because we are in Him. He is our brother. But when we are struggling with those things at the backdrop of our turning to Jesus, we first and foremost need to turn to Him because we need to be redeemed and we need to be forgiven of our sin. In other words, He did not die on the cross so that you could have a good marriage and He didn't die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to struggle with the hardships of work and some of the financial challenges that come with that. And He didn't die on the cross ultimately for you to experience physical healing here on this earth. So if our turning to Christ is because we want something that flows out of the eternal work of Christ that may and will be certainly all things be redeemed in the course of that in eternity, if we are turning to Him for that with the expectation that that's what I want now, that's the reason I'm turning to Christ, then our motive for turning to Him and our understanding of the reason that He came is misguided and misunderstood. Why am I saying that? It's because we recognize here that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not physical blessing, but He has, he has assured us of every spiritual blessing now. Those things from heaven which we need because we are spiritual beings. And what we need are those spiritual blessings. That is what we need is that we need to be redeemed and restored. We need what we had been talking about for the last nine weeks prior to today. We need the Spirit of God in us to save us and to take us and to transform our lives that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. That's at the heart of this statement. That's what we need. And then in that, relationships can be reconciled. But if you remember when we talked about peace, what did we say? Scripture tells us, inasmuch as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. There are times that reconciliation doesn't take place. It doesn't mean that God has failed. It means that in this life, there are those things that will not be fully reconciled that in eternity will be reconciled. So there are spiritual blessings. Notice what else happens in Christ. It says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So we are chosen in Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. That is, for those who are chosen, they were chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ. God saw them before they ever created them and He planned them. And if you're here today and you are currently a believer, it is so because before there was ever a man created and before there was ever a world created, God chose you specifically in Christ. If you're here today without Christ and God is speaking to your heart, know that trust Him. Trust Him. Believe in Him. His call is to believe in Him and to trust Him. We're chosen in Christ. Notice what else. We were chosen in Christ that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In other words, we would stand with Christ, before Christ. We would stand before God. So He chose us to be holy and blameless. 
So we're blessed in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. We stand with Him and stand before Him. Notice what else? It says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So our adoption is made possible through Christ. That's the reason that we call Him our, uh, our, our if we were, if we were uh, African, we would say that He's our senior brother. We would say that He is the, 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 he is the Son of God and we are in Him children of God. Which was what John pointed to when he said in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, For as many as believed on His name, to them He gave the right to be called sons of God, to be called children of God. So we are made sons through Christ. Notice what else? According to the purpose of God's will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And we know here that the Beloved is pointing to Christ because the very next statement it says is in Him, meaning in the Beloved, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we received grace in Christ. In other words, grace is undergirding all of this. It is not because we deserve to be chosen, not because we deserve to be forgiven, not because we deserve to be redeemed, not because we deserve to be the sons of God, but by virtue of the grace of God. Notice what else? We are redeemed through the blood of Christ. What's the very next statement? In Him we have redemption. How? Through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. So we are redeemed through the blood of Christ and we are forgiven in Christ. We are forgiven by God in Christ because of His blood. Notice the other thing. Notice that everything is hinged upon Christ. goes on to say, According to the riches of His grace, in verse 8, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, what? Which He set forth in Christ. Everything about God's plan in eternity before anything was ever created before there was ever a man, before Adam was ever created, before the foundation of the world had ever been laid, God intended and planned that everything would be hinged upon Jesus Christ. And then finally, let's look. What does he say? And to unite all things in him. It's a lot to get our minds around. It's a lot to get our hearts around. But it is what God is telling us about His glory and the glory of Christ and the glory of the advent in this decision that was made in eternity. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment with me. I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17. All along the way, I was just, I don't know that I'd, I may have heard it. I, I just probably didn't dwell on it. But I thought, all of this is going on here, and we're hearing about this work that has taken place before the foundation of the world. And I kept thinking, I've heard that phrase recently. In fact, it wasn't but a couple of weeks ago that we read parts of the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. Let's listen to it just a minute. Now remember, this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying this prayer just before He is arrested, before He is to be crucified. And I want us to read the whole prayer, but we're going to center on a couple of things in it. But just listen to it. Back up in verse 33. He says to His disciples of chapter 16, I have said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, 
I've overcome the world. We, we focused on that back here a few weeks ago. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Now remember, remember to the praise of the glorious grace of God for God's glory and God's grace He's given Christ. Christ is the one who has delivered that grace to us. For what? For the glory of God, which is why he says, God, you be glorified. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. What are we talking about? The advent. I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Remember what we heard in our call to worship? Seek the Lord while He may be found. God had shown them Himself in Christ. God had shown them Himself in Christ. And they believed. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Can't give what's not yours. They were His, God's. They were given to Christ all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now notice he's talking about that Christ is glorified in those that God has given him. And I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have, uh, that, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not speak. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now hang on. Listen to these. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Remember, God's purpose is to what? To unite in Christ all things. We've said all people that He has chosen, that He has predestined to be His sons through Christ, through adoption, through their redemption through their forgiveness of sin, by way of their belief, which is why we read earlier in Romans and then in Galatians that we are justified by our faith in Christ. Now follow along. He says, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Where does glory originate? God. How does man get it? He only gets it if God gives it. Jesus has prayed for it. Glory for what? Glory in the Son that the Father may receive glory. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you what? Loved me when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, the Son had been loved. And that's not all. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What is it that God gave the one that he loved before the foundation of the world? He gave them those that he had chosen to be in him. Those who would be his brothers and sisters by way of His adoption, through His atoning work that would provide forgiveness and redemption for them. If you're a believer, you are a gift to the Son because the Father loved Him before the foundation of the world and chose you in Him and gave you to Him. And He has kept you and He will keep you. You are the love gift that God the Father gave Him. For what? For the glory of God. When? Before the foundation of of the world. That is why the glory of the Advent at least rests in the fact that it was a divine decision made in eternity. All of this determined by God before the foundation of the world, to point to His glory. The advent is glorious because it is certain, because it is a divine decision that was made in eternity. Now we started with the advent, a season of waiting. Well, Christ has come, why wait? Christ has come and He has died and He has been raised from the dead and He has given us life. But what is it that we wait for now? We wait for His return. Even now, we wait for another advent which, be reminded, is bound in up in the same divine decision made before creation. And we can be as certain of His return as those who waited and were certain of His first coming. Folks, the Advent is a glorious season, a glorious time. My prayer for us as a church, for you, is that this time of waiting would be a rich time of anticipating the coming of the One in whom everything and all of history and eternity beyond is hinged upon. Is He important? Is He important? 
He absolutely is important. Absolutely. Beyond description. That is the one that John said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Would you pray with me? Father, as we sang earlier, in Christ alone our hope is found. Our hope is known. Because you have by your design in eternity past planned and determined the goings on all centered around your Son that you would bring those that you have chosen into your presence for eternity and unite heaven and earth bringing them together for your glory. Father, thank You Father, would you awaken our hearts to the significance of Christ? Would you cause those who have not yet believed to see Him even now in this moment and to cry out and say, I want You, my Savior, Jesus. And Father, would you call and stir within their hearts and create within them a longing and a passion for You and Your glory. Father, for those of us who have trusted You, would You awaken our souls again? Would You cause our minds and our hearts to be filled with the reality of Your glory in Christ. And so seize our minds and capture us as we seek to worship You holy and blameless before Him for the praise of Your glorious grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name.